Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. I want to officially welcome you, especially if you are at Liquid New Brunswick. What's up, guys? If you're watching church online, uh, out of state, around the world, welcome. We're glad you're with us for the start of our new series, Detour, and a uh, concept you're probably familiar with if you've did any traveling over the New Year's. Uh, anybody actually travel over Christmas or New Year's, okay, along the Northeast Corridor? All right, absolutely. Friends, family, you visited, uh, you probably are familiar. We had about 20 or 30 inches of snow, and that qualifies certainly as a detour. Uh, we were plowed in in New York City, kind of an unexpected curveball that just kind of screws things up royally. And uh, in a single weekend, we had over 4,000 flights canceled at Newark and JFK Airport, um, Antrac, uh, New Jersey Transit. They shut down their entire train system, so no planes, trains, buses available. In fact, one family who was traveling down from Boston was stuck for nine hours on their train with no bathroom. It's like, Happy New Year. And, uh, you know, thousands of people had their plans waylaid by this, this white little powder, and it's only starting to get untangled. Um, I endured a detour of my own this past year when I flew to uh, visit South Carolina for a leadership trip, but uh, found the only direct flight was actually out of Philadelphia. And I was traveling down with Pastor Mike, and so we actually rented a car at Newark Airport, drove down to Philadelphia, and it was no big deal, you know, a couple-hour drive. And anyway, we take this U.S. Airways flight out of Charleston, uh, and it was only two hours door-to-door, and we're in the land of palmetto trees. It was a beautiful visit. And it was fine, but the return trip home, we thought, very straightforward, two hours back to Philly and two-hour drive to Jersey. And so we left at 3 p.m. because we're like, we'll be back to tuck our kitties in bed at 7 and when we got to the Charleston airport, we, we, we looked and we saw that dreaded word, right? Delayed. Apparently there were some high winds out of Philly, uh, so the flight was delayed an hour. We sat in the terminal two hours, three hours. We didn't take off till 6 o'clock, which was a bummer because now we weren't going to be home on time. But we, we fly out of Charleston, no problem, and our flight into Philadelphia... It's another story. We hit a little turbulence. I'm not a flyer. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? You white knuckle it. I start getting very religious. I grab Pastor Mike's arm, and uh, my prayer life just goes through the roof when we do turbulence. And uh, we begin our descent into Philly, and it was, it was crazy because we were coming down through the cloud cover, and I could actually see the runway. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, let out my breath. 500 yards away, and we're literally, you know, you hear the landing gear goes, 
closes it. I'm like, oh, okay, thank you, Jesus. And all of a sudden, literally, at the last minute, the car, it veers. We hear the engines of the jet. We start banking to the right, back up. Like, what is happening? Are we going to ditch in the river? Uh, you know, and it starts veering up. We get all the way back up, and we're, all, we're like, what's happening? I'm like, ding! Uh, ladies and gentlemen, slight change in plans. We are headed to Baltimore. And everyone's just like, what? And he was like, sorry for the slight detour. Your flight attendants will be around with a complimentary beverage in just a minute. As if like a Diet Coke will like, you know, are brushed with death. Oh, whatever that was. You know, apparently the wind shear was so strong that they had to ditch at the last minute and take us to Baltimore. So this was not a slight detour. We actually arrived in Baltimore and circled for an hour in the sky around the airport until they could get a runway. And uh, we sat in the tarmac then for another hour and a half. So by this point, it's 10 o'clock, and uh, the captain's like, we don't know how long we'll be delayed. And Mike and I are like, well, then we're out of here. And we actually got off the plane, because we said, well, go, get home quicker driving. And it began that planes, trains, and automobiles experience. Uh, you know, we, got, we rented a car. They didn't have one there. We had to go into the city of Baltimore. It's 10 o'clock by the time we start driving. We arrive in Philly like 12, 1 a.m. We have to find our car. We drive to, up to you know, Newark Airport and stop at the Cracker Barrel uh, along the way. And when we got home, it was 3.30 in the morning when we got our car at Newark Airport. I walked in my front door at 4 in the morning. So what was supposed to be a four-hour round trip door-to-door became this 14-hour ordeal. Uh, maybe you can relate. We each have a story about a detour, some sort of like unexpected event that kind of just screws up our original plans. Uh, but it's not just travel, is it? It's life itself when you think about it. Uh, what I've learned is I've gotten a little bit older is that detours are just part of life. Things happen that we don't expect or we can't plan for. Isn't that true for you? Um, in your mind growing up, you probably had everything planned out. Uh, you know, maybe you knew where you wanted to go to school, who you were going to marry, how many kids you were going to have, what kind of job or career that you would find you know, satisfying or would make you happy. And uh, if you think about it this way, we each have a picture in my mind, uh, in our head, of, of where, how we're gonna, where, here's where we're starting, and, and this is where I want to go, and this is exactly how I'm going to get there, and this is my ETA, my estimated time of arrival. In other words, I'm going to go to this school, graduate in four years, get my MBA by 32, first million by 40, retired by you know, 45, whatever that is. Or I'm going to marry the man or woman of my dreams by 28, have our first kids by, you know, 31, and then, and then we'll live happily ever after, you know. That's, that's where I want to be. This is how long it's going to take me to get there. But the truth is, sometimes the unexpected happens. We, we hit a detour, something that we didn't plan on. I mean, no one, no one ever grew up thinking, and then I think around 41, I'll get cancer. Nobody goes to work planning, you know what, I'm actually going to get fired when I'm, when I'm 50, and be unemployed for, for two years. Nobody, nobody thinks that. Nobody, nobody plans to be divorced in their 30s and now have to think about starting all over again. No one plans to be in their 20s and be alone and depressed. But life, it turns out, is full of detours. The unexpected happens, and we're forced to actually go in a new direction. Maybe, maybe, that, maybe that realization hits you in the form of a, of a health crisis this year. Maybe somebody you loved passed on, and your world was filled with hospital tests and IV tubes, or, or, or maybe, maybe it was the realization came with the news that you wouldn't physically be able to have kids as you'd hope, or, or maybe you have kids, but they're like going in the opposite direction than you had imagined for them. You're like, college, whatever, I just want them to stay out of jail, uh, you know, whatever that, you don't plan for this stuff to happen, none of us do. Your plan, if you're honest, is to go from point A to point B, and everything be happily ever after, so you don't expect to have the love of your life hand you 
Well, divorce papers. And now I'm starting from scratch, back to Monopoly, the beginning of the game. Or maybe you thought you'd be married by now, but you're not. And you're frustrated, or you're hurt, or you're confused, or all of the above. I know that describes a lot of the people actually in our church. Every week I read the prayer requests that, uh, and the detours people are going through. And last month, um, this one jumped out at me. They wrote this. They said, would you pray for my friend and her family? Her husband left her over the summer. They have two daughters and a brand new house. They're now going through a divorce, and I just pray for peace for them this holiday season. They were married for 14 years. I mean, 2010 was, a, 2010 was a tough year for a lot of people in this church. I mean, part of what makes detours so painful is that sometimes feels like the people all around you are like living the dream, right? Like they're all put together. Everyone else is getting married. Everyone else is having kids. Everyone else is successful or healthy or happy in their relationship or, or content in their singleness or so it seems. But the truth is, detours happen to every one of us. So what do you do with a shattered dream? When life is interrupted, that's the subtitle of our series, and that's what I want to explore this year. Because to be honest with you, I need direction as desperately as, as you. Um, I remember when my father um, was first diagnosed with cancer, back in 1999 that was, almost 12 years ago, and uh, the shock that was to our family. Because the trajectory for us to that point had pretty much been a smooth straight line from point A to point B, like nothing ever happened in our family. Everything just went hunky-dory, and then when that detour, bam, when the doctor closed the door and he said he has lymphoma, and we're like, what? It's not operable. It rocked our world, our faith, because we were like, well, we, we, we trust God. We believe he desires to bless us and protect us, and, and, and what? Why this? Why my dad, the most righteous person I know on the earth? Why now? This was our first year of marriage. Colleen and I, didn't, we didn't even have children yet, and we were like, God, why would you let such a thing happen? And, and, and you know what? These are hard questions, and I want to say from the outset, I'm not going to give you easy answers to this. But what we discovered is that there is a good God who, if the Bible is to be believed, actually vows to show up in the middle of life's detours and show himself strong on behalf of those who actually trust him, lean into him. So your life may not always go the way you expect, but if it did, would you really need God in the first place? So think about this as you flip the calendar and you make plans for where you want to be in the next 12 months. Would you just entertain this idea? This is the central idea I want you to think about. Is it possible that the greatest detour currently staring you down has the potential to be the single greatest catalyst to grow your faith in 2011? You may not have chosen it. You may not have planned for this. It may hit you out of nowhere and have you confused or hurting, but God's not surprised and he is not unmoved. In fact, we're going to see... Whenever God takes his children on a journey of faith, he deliberately uses detours to increase their trust in him alone. In God's mind, the shortest and easiest way between two points is not always the way he takes us. In fact, it's been that way from the beginning. I want to show you how this works. So if you take out your Bible, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 13. This is an important passage. I'm going to kind of clear the board here because we're going to look at really what the Christian journey is by looking at the journey of God's people in the Old Testament. And this is fascinating because you guys kind of know the word exodus, maybe you don't know. The word exodus simply means departure. In other words, someone is leaving somewhere and they're going somewhere from point A to point B. And in this case, it was the Hebrews, the Israelites, leaving point A, which was, does anybody know where they were for 400 years in slavery? Egypt. I'm going to draw a pyramid. Feel free to do that in your notes. One of my resolutions is to draw more in 2011. So here's Egypt. And does anybody know where they were going? They were going to a little thing called the Promised Land. You got it right. Hoboken, New Jersey. The Promised Land 
just jot it right there. Actually, it's funny, but the promised land was in, of course, modern-day Israel. It was At the time, it was called Canaan, and it was not that far. Does anybody know how far it was away from these guys? Not that far, about New York to Boston, 250 miles. You can jot that down in your notes, 250 miles from Egypt to the promised land. And God says, I'm going to take you there. And that was a big deal to the Israelites because for 400 years they'd been slaves, they'd been abused, they'd been like worked to death and overwhelmed. And God says, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, Exodus, and we're going to go to the promised land. And the way the Bible talks about the promised land is it's this land flowing with milk and honey. So it's probably Jersey City, actually, not Hoboken. That's how the Bible describes it. And the pilot that day was this guy named Moses, and, 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 and you know Moses knew the desert, so you'd assume he would take the quickest and shortest route to get there. But God had other plans according to Exodus 13, verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was what? Shorter. For God said if they face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And this is strange because they could have taken the express lane. That's what you would assume. 400 years in slavery, you're like, I am there. But God actually says, we're taking the long road home, guys. And he led them toward the Red Sea, which is a pretty huge obstacle they would have to cross. And God's people must have naturally said, well, this makes no sense. So God gives them a special sign. Look at verse 20. It says, after leaving, they camped at the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in what? A pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. I mean, you talk about an incredible sign okay this is a divine gps he gives moses so i'm going to twin pillars here here's one by cloud and and here's one i'll let me let me draw my little arrow I'll even color it in for you let me give it a little flame here flame by night cloud by day and he's going to guide them i'm going to show you exactly where to go on this path you talk about a gps would that not be awesome at the beginning of a new year for god to say i am going to give you and an, you're going to be impossible to miss this sign i'm going to put a sign in the sky for you to follow whenever you're facing a crossroads i'm going to give you clear instructions I mean, imagine, how great would this be? You go to a party, and a pillar of fire hovers over the man of your dreams. Marry this guy. <laughs> Not that one. A cloud covers the ugly ones, you know. <laughs> Take this job, you know. Make that investment, you know. Not that one. And, 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 and what kind of confidence would you have if you were absolutely convinced that God was directing your steps? Exodus 13 says, Neither the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is called a theophany, just God appearing in physical form, and, and nowadays that's rare. But the Israelites follow this fire, okay, and a miracle happens. That little event we all know, we've seen it on TBS when they play the Ten Commandments, it's called the Red Sea. You could draw a little Red Sea there, and he leads the Israelites to freedom. Woo! We are going to the promised land or bust. Here we go. We all love this. This is their exodus, their departure. It's a miracle. And you know what? We have all had moments in our lives when God's guidance of you was palpable. You know those moments when it's really clear, like, man, God is just setting this thing up. The path is well marked. You see evidence of God working powerfully all throughout your life. It doesn't happen often. In fact, I can count on my hands like a, maybe two or three times where I have received divine direction that clearly. One was when I was 18 years old and I was actually choosing where to go to college. Uh, one morning during my senior year in high school, I woke up with the distinct impression that I should go to Wheaton College in Chicago, which was very strange, actually, because I never visited uh, the school or Chicago, and at the time, I was planning to go to school in New Jersey. Uh, I had two full scholarships to, uh, to schools here in, in state, and I woke up one morning, though, with this distinct impression 
I am supposed to go to Wheaton College. And now I, I understand in the rear view why that is. That's where I fell in love with literature and theology, kind of learned to synthesize stories and ideas, which helps revival teaching that I do today. The others, I met my wife, Colleen. <laughs> Sometimes God directs us very clearly through impressions. Sometimes he directs us through the voice of other people. The second time I received real divine direction was at my grandfather's funeral. Um, when my grandfather passed away, I gave uh, the eulogy. It was really the first time I kind of preached the gospel to a large crowd, and people responded in a big way to God. And afterwards, this older gentleman came up. who was actually an elderly pastor, and he said, Son, what do you do? And I was teaching English at the time in high school, and, uh, and he said, Man, that's a, that's a, boy, that's a gift he's given you. I'm looking at a preacher here. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's really awkward. He goes, Y'all listen to me. <laughs> you need to go into ministry because I am looking at a pastor, very direct, Sometimes God directs us through the voice of other believers. And God used those two moments, okay, choosing the right school, going into ministry to get me, you know, where I happen to be today. Now, listen, liquid is not the promised land. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. You get this. But if the pastor had kept quiet, if I might not be able actually to be even standing up here teaching you, or if I took that scholarship to a different school, my family would look different. I probably would not be married to my current wife. But those are just two moments that I can point to that were like pillar of fire moments, when God was like clearly directing my steps, outlining the direction he wanted my life to go. Most often I've discovered he's much quieter. <laughs> there's no pillar of fire. Sometimes there's not even a puff of smoke. And that's normal. You know why? Because we actually live this side of the promised land. See, this is our story. It, this, and we like the beginning, don't we? Because it's dramatic when God leads us in this obvious and clear way. He leaves us... This is the story of all believers. He leaves us out of slavery and sin and into this forgiveness and freedom in Christ. And we're like, yeah, we're going to heaven, the promised land on earth. And, and maybe at the beginning of your faith journey, you remember when God spoke to you or you had the sense of his very clear presence and leading. But the reality is if you're in this journey long enough, you will discover that the path doesn't always make sense, does it? Remember what it says in Exodus 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road that was shorter. Rather, he took them on a journey that he uniquely planned for them. That's, that's the troubling part. Because that road to freedom that he led his people on included three desert detours, three of them, that must have left the people just kind of shaking their heads. If you flip over to Exodus 15, just go ahead, you just follow along here. We're going to flip through this. It says, Moses led the Israelites through the Red Sea. They went to the desert of Shore, and for three days... They traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was, what's the word here? Bitter. And the first detour he sends them on, he sends them basically directly south. Not easy. He sends them south to this place called Marah, which means, biblically, literally means bitter. And these people must have been going, wait a minute, we're going New York to Boston. Why are we headed to Kentucky? This does not make sense, right? Things went south for them, and it turns the people literally bitter. They start grumbling. They start complaining. They start whining. They're like, we got nothing to drink. When are we going to get it? Which is sometimes how it goes, isn't it, when we leave Egypt? See, a lot of people assume that when you become a Christian, life gets easier. If I just follow God, promised land, here I come. It'll be smooth sailing from here on out. Let me, I, don't care, I don't care what like, preachers tell you on television. It's not true. Just trust God, and your, li your life will be lined with lace. That's a lie. It's just that's not how it goes. You know why? Because that's not the journey Jesus traveled. Jesus' path to obedience included suffering, pain, a cross. That would qualify as a detour, I would say. 
detours are inherently painful. And the truth is, your diagnosis is a detour. Your breakup is a detour. The fact that you had to pack up and move on to a new place and start all over, that's a detour. But biblically, whenever God's people face a detour, you're given a choice. Will it make you bitter or will it make you better? See, detours make you go one of two ways. Detours can either make you bitter, which is what it did to the Israelites. Why me? Why would God allow this? This is terrible, horrible, awful. I don't deserve this. Or detours can actually make you better. They actually make you more dependent. More, more, they increase your trust, your faith. God, I need you more than ever right now in my life. And honestly, this is, this is not being glib. This is a question some of you are facing in 2011. This year, will this detour make you bitter or better? The choice is yours. We've all met people who are bitter, yeah? They can't get past something in life that didn't quite turn out the way that they wanted, and they spend the rest of their life kind of bitter about it. Bitter people are hard to be around because they're mad at God. He's at fault. Or they blame other people. They've never worked through the pain and the disappointment, so they just kind of spew venom, this kind of you know, emotional turmoil on other people. People living in Mara are no fun to be around, yeah? They're toxic. But you may know other people who have experienced a similar detour, and it's the weirdest thing. It hasn't made them bitter, but it's actually made them better. They're fewer in number. You can't even like explain it. But somehow, going through that trial, going through that detour, that experience, built character and patience and nobility into them. And somehow, it must be God's strength, they responded, that same circumstance, completely different attitude. And it all comes down to this choice. Is the detour going to make you better or bitter? The choice is yours. And I, listen to me. I am not minimizing what some of you, I'm not minimizing what some of you are going through, Okay. Some detours are minor, some of them are major, and you may think right now, you may think, Tim, you got no idea what I'm going through. In fact, you may be sitting next to somebody right now in your row, and they're smiling inside, but they're, they're smiling on the outside, but they're dying inside. And I'm not minimizing that. The Bible's not saying, put on a happy face, and it's going to be magic to make you stronger. I'm simply describing to you, this is the journey God leaves every single one of his followers on. It's not just the Israelites, but any follower of Christ today. It is a journey that if we lean in and say, what am I here to learn from God? God can actually use detours to make us better. You know what I mean by better? More like his son, Jesus Christ. See, when we hit a detour, God gives us this choice. James 1-2 says this. Listen to this. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And, and I've, I've, I've shared that verse with you before, but here's the deal. I've never told you the context. James wrote those words in the first century to the, per, to the persecuted church. In other words, Christians who would die if they said, I'm going to follow Jesus, they would be killed. And, he, and this is basically James. I'm going to write a letter, and here's how I'm going to open it. Guys who are running for your life, consider it pure joy whenever. doesn't say if you face trials. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice he, did, he says when, not if. Of many kinds. This is fascinating. You know what the, the Greek word for many is? Poikados. What's it sound like? Polkadots. That's where we get that word from. Poikados. Poikados trials. In other words, some of them are small. Some of them are big. Some of them are odd shaped. Some of them are huge. Some are going not. They're all different kinds of detours. Some are big. Some are small. They're all shapes and sizes. But consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face tri- trials of poikados kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Let's say that word together. Perseverance. In other words, detours, according to the Bible, are a test. They reveal what we're made of. 
and they actually help us learn. It's kind of like a, like a pop quiz. It helps us prepare. It, it, it develops perseverance. And then James reveals God's ultimate purpose. He says, perseverance has to finish its work so that you may be, let's read that phrase, mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, now here's the deal. Most of us want mature and complete. We'd vote for that. But nobody wants the process to get there. <laughs> we just don't. We've got to be honest about that. We want the shortest possible route between A and B. 250 miles. We can get there in four hours if we, if we hit the gas, right? New York to Boston. We want the easiest road, the path of least resistance. But did you notice mature and complete does not typically come from smooth and easy? You know what I'm saying? Like, like as a father, I want my kids to grow up mature and complete, and I'd love to say, okay, kiddies, here's how it works. You have an easy life, and everything goes your way, and you'll become mature. That's not how it works. You, you want to have character? Guess how it's built. It is forged through adversity. It's forged through tough times. When you go through hardship and you respond in faith, better, not bitter, guess what happens? You develop this perseverance, this tenacity, this character you just can't get any other way. That's God's goal, that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How would you define the promised land? I mean, for you. Like right now, if I ask you, so what's your promised land? Most of us in this room, watching online, would say our promised land is, and then you would think of the fulfillment of your, of your greatest short-term dream at this moment. My promised land for 2011 is to meet the girl of my dreams, the Victoria's Secret model who loves Jesus. She's out there. I know it. My, my, my promised land would be, would be the pregnancy test comes back positive, finally. My promised land is I'd get the promotion, or, or, or my promised land, man, is my spouse finally agrees to go to marriage counseling. That would be huge. That's my promised land. We all have these short-term dreams, and here's the deal. Those are fine dreams. In fact, God wants us to present our dreams, our hopes to him on the journey, but his ultimate goal for life, our life, is like a bit higher than any short-term change in our circumstances. He's out to change our character. You know what his promised land is? For you, Tom, for you, Cindy in the back, for anybody here, that you would be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I want to make you like Jesus Christ, which is why I'm going to take you into the desert, not to kill you, but to create something new at the deepest place of you, not to make you bitter, but better. The Israelites hit their first detour, Mara, <laughs> aptly named, and they get bitter. But God's patient, he's kind, he turns the water sweet. Of course, if you know the story, <laughs> the moment God gives them something to drink, they hit desert detour number two. You can look at Exodus uh, chapter 16 here. This is kind of interesting. Take a look at this. I'm going to stick another one here because they go a little bit to the side. It says, the whole Israelite community set out and they came to the desert of sin. Which, generally speaking, if there's any place you go that has sin in the title, you want to avoid this, okay? If you Google something, it comes up like, here are the coordinates of desert of sin. We're going to go around that one. They go to this, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and we ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entirely assembly to death. So as soon as they have, you know, some, God takes them down here, some they have something to drink, they're like, what are we going to eat? You know, we got nothing. You trying to kill us? All of a sudden, you know what happens with detours? You start living life in the rear view. The moment you hit something, you're kind of like, you know, I was so better off. Do you, oh gosh, if I just, if he never came into my life. 
When that second detour hits, they can't even look forward to the promised land. They just start living life in the rear view. That's because detours cause doubts. And maybe you're here today, and honestly, this is painful for you because you've been asking that question over New Year's. You're like, God, why would you, if you're loving, why would you, why would you let this happen to me? You, you can remember the pillar of fire that moment. You can recall that moment when you were set free in Christ and forgiven, but now you're in the desert and you're kind of wondering, was he ever really back there to begin with in the first place? I know because when my, when my father, my family, when my father got cancer, yeah, we had big questions for God, big questions. We were angry. My family are a bunch of believers, generations of believers. We trusted God. And we were like, if God, you have the power to change things, but you're not. You're not healing him. Why? We actually were like, have we done something wrong? Is this like God's punishment? And when healing did not come immediately, you know what? It took my family on a brand new journey. We never had to trust God that way before. <laughs> all, all like Sunday school lessons kind of went out the window because it's like every morning we're on our knees, we're eating the carpet, praying for every test, every chemo, every scan. And all of a sudden we're like, we got to start living like one day at a time. And that's exactly what God's trying to do. <laughs> In other words, he's trying to teach us dependency and to look to him for what we need every day, one day, at a time. This is what he does in Exodus. Look at this. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you'll eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread and then you'll know that I'm the Lord your God. And God provides a second miracle. <laughs> in the morning, there's, this, there's this, this dew on the ground. It's called manna. It's like, fro- he, he's like I'm going to give you frosted flakes in the morning and at night I'm going to send quail and it covered the camp and every morning, and here's the deal, there was only one rule. You couldn't hoard any and take it in your tent. If it did, it was filled with maggots. It spoiled. What's God trying to teach him? I want you to come to me every morning, every night. Come to me. Come to me. Ask me. Tell me your heart. Tell me your requests. He's teaching them dependency. See, the goal of God's journey is different than ours. We want to get to the promised land by taking the reins ourselves and finding the shortest, quickest path of least resistance. But God's not in our time, on our timetable. He's actually... In some ways, he's as interested in the journey as he is the destination, yeah? Because that destination, I mean, when you think about detours, nothing creates dependency like detours, day by day. My dad had first had chemo in 1999, February, and then radiation. And over Christmas, we were, we were talking about this. We realized it has been 12 long years for our family in the desert. That's what the desert is in the Bible. It's a place of testing. And for 12 years, God's tested my family through my father's disease. And praise God... His lymphoma has been stable. You know what that means? It means it's not growing. It's not going to be cured. It's not in remission. We've had to learn to live with it. We've had to learn to actually trust God now in a whole new way, day by day, week by week, year by year. And through this detour, God was testing their faith. He's like, will you trust me for your daily bread if I don't even give you what you ultimately want? See, God had a lot to change in the Israelites' hearts before they could enter the promised land, yeah? Think about their history. They had to learn to trust God as a loving father, not a slave master. (laughs) They'd been slaves for 400 years. They didn't even know how to trust anyone. Their whole experience of life was, you obey orders or you get beaten. And God says, I gotta change their heart and show what it's like to take food from master's loving hand, yeah? And this is key, folks. Whenever you come to a detour in life, you gotta ask the right questions. See, when folks hit a detour, they typically ask, why me or how long? That's how most people ask. Is that not true? 
We, sim- we typically say, why did this happen to me? Everything was going along fine until that. Or how long? How long till I feel better? How long till, till I meet him or her? How long till, till we can conceive? How long till I get a job again? But notice those questions, they're natural. Don't, no condemnation. It's just natural. But notice they're all focused on me and on the detour. That they're, they're bitter questions. God says, I want you to ask two better questions when you come to a detour. Instead of saying, why me or how long? What if we ask, what if we ask, God, what do you want me to do? And then secondly, what do you want to do in me? Yeah? That's a twist. Instead of asking, why me? God, what are you trying to do inside of me at the deeper places through this experience? See, if we allow um, him, God actually has the power to change and transform us in ways that we can never orchestrate ourselves. Again, I don't know what you're facing this year. It could be a major detour, or maybe you're sailing along smoothly. Great for you. Just wait till the spring. Uh, <laughs> when it, it's just part of life. And when it happens, God sometimes says, what do I want to do in you? How about we start with the anger that is out of control in you every time you don't get your way? You realize that's there a lot? <laughs> in fact, every time you are hit with a delay or something doesn't go exactly how you want it, you just like lose it, man. You lose patience. You lose perspective. You get angry. You blame people when things are out of your control. If we're brave enough to ask that question, what do you want to do in me? God might say, you realize you got chronic anger and control issues we got to deal with? And I actually have to free you out of slavery to that before we can take one more step to the promised land. You're still living in slavery. See, when we're honest, when we're brave to ask God this question, what do you want to do in me? Maybe he'll say, man, you're holding the reins of your life so tight and you got everything planned and figured out the way that it should go. You've got your future. Everything is in your control, and it's an illusion. That's what this detour is. It's just reminding you you're not in control. And when you're reminded of that, you just fall to pieces. Why don't we start with that, God says. Sometimes, guys, I honestly believe God allows detours just to remind us. He's not our co-pilot. <laughs> Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? It's a ridiculous bump. God is my co-pilot. You've got to be kidding me. God is not a kid. He's not in anybody's back seat. He's not like, oh, let's turn here. He does not take a back seat to anybody. He runs the universe. He created Egypt and the promised land. He can run your life better than you can. Thank you very much. We do not invite God into our life. He invites us into his life. That's why when we surrender to him, when we yield, God says, okay, now let's move. Only then can he say, I can show you the next step. Now that you trust me, and now I can trust you, yeah, to take the next step, and I want to show you a plan, a, a dream for your life that's bigger and better than anything you can come up with. we got these modest little man-sized dreams. He's like, i got a plan and a purpose for you that's bigger than anything you can imagine. Are you stuck in a detour? Instead of asking God for guidance, what if you asked him, slight tweak, God, will you be my guide? I'll go wherever. My life's an open book. I believe you know me better than I know myself, and I will actually trust you. I am, I am taking my hands off the wheel and turning it over to you. It's about the journey. It's not just the destination. Will you trust him? Will you depend on him? Will you have the honesty and courage to ask, what do you want to do in me? And what do you want me to do? God provided for his people in the desert. He always does. There's, there's actually a third detour. This is kind of funny. We don't even have time for this, but he, he takes them so far south, they almost go off the map. 
they actually go down from the desert of Sin to the desert of Sinai. This is one of the holiest spots in, in all of Israel, but it's about as far as you get from the promised land. And uh, you may know Sinai. It's actually the, the holy mountain there, right? Where Moses first encountered God in a burning bush, holy ground. Elijah hears this gentle whisper. And next week you're going to see what happens here. But they were camped at the foot of Mount Sinai for a full year. All right? You talk about a detour. God takes a year to regroup them as a nation and actually teach them what it meant to trust him completely. And he was preparing them for their eventual arrival at the promised land. But first he said, I've got to break this slave mentality that you have. I've got to adjust your attitude and candidly and kindly and tenderly. I've got to strip you of the self-sufficiency so you can actually trust me so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking what? Anything. And a year is a long time. You can imagine those people are pretty worn out at that point. I mean, after three desert detours, they must have been like, this is freedom? <laughs> like, what? But Moses didn't lose faith. And in Exodus 33, I want to end with this. He asked God a question at Sinai, which is quite beautiful. I love this. He says, I pray, Lord, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. Moses was a humble man, yeah? And through all the detours and the delays, he never lost sight of grace. If I found grace and God, you're watching my life. He says simply, God, show me your way. We're, in other words, we're learning, Lord. But now please, 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 please. Can you tell me where you're taking me? How, how are we going to get from here to there, Lord? I need fresh revelation. I need to hear from you. And do you know what God says to him? He gives this beautiful answer. In verse 14, let's read this together. The Lord replied, big loud voice, ready? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Notice, he does not give Moses the GPS coordinates. He does not say, well, it's easy, Moses. Show me your way, sure, easy. About 200 miles to the east and about 50 miles north. And he doesn't give any of that stuff. He simply says, my presence will go with you. The Hebrew term for presence here is very vivid. It literally is, my face will go in front of you. You understand what he's saying? It doesn't matter where you go or when you arrive. All that matters is that wherever you go, know this. I'll take the lead and I will be with you every step of the way. Some of you are here today and uh, 2010, candidly, it's a tough year for you very hard. And, and you, know, you know firsthand about detours, about setbacks, about losses, and uh, maybe you're rolling into 2011 with no hope um, or you're hurting. But I honestly believe that God's brought you here today for a reason. He wanted to tell you something to your, to your face. No matter what this year brings, no matter what the detours you're facing, those words he spoke to Moses, he wants to speak directly to you. Wherever you go, what? My presence will go with you. As hard as this is, guys, this year, this detour, this could be your finest moment. This could be your finest. Don't, I don't care how big or small it is in your life. The Bible says when we surrender control of our life to God, yeah, your heavenly Father can take whatever bitterness is threatening to shut you down and give you something better. Himself. That's the promise. Would that be enough for you? Would that be enough for you in the new year? To head in 2011 with God 
your father saying, wherever you go, Mark, my presence will go with you. My face will go in front of you. That's the faith. When God himself is enough, it actually doesn't matter where the road takes you, does it? Because you're confident in your ultimate destination and you're most confident because you know who is leading the way. And that nothing is going to thwart his plan or purpose in your life. Not cancer, not unemployment, not infertility, not a breakup, not a family, not a financial crisis. The only thing that can thwart God's plan and purpose in your life is your response, your attitude. Will this detour make you bitter or better in 2011? That's your choice. Will you trust him more or will you trust him less? You may not have planned for this. You may not have asked for it. You might like to avoid it if you could, but instead of asking why me or how long, could you actually have the guts to ask your father, God, what do you want me to do and what are you doing in me? God never promises the path will be lined with lace. That's television. He simply promises his children, my presence will go with you. If you're new, that's the life God offers that's the faith we believe. That's the journey Jesus himself traveled. And that's why we trust him to actually lead us there. This is a little bit of a cliffhanger. Next week, um, we're going to see a few other surprises God has in store for his people on the way to the promised land. It actually gets even more tangled up. But right now, I just want you to apply this directly to your life as you think about this and you think about the year ahead. I'm going to actually pray right now um, for you guys, for the people in this room watching in New Brunswick or, or online. And... Um, Let's do that now. Let's just bow our heads. Just take a moment here so I can pray for you. A holy moment. Maybe God's, um, maybe you came in here and that is you, you've not had hope. You've actually faced the new year with some fear, some dread, some anxiety. That's natural. You're actually in a place of, of fellow journeyers, of fellow strugglers. Um, if that's you and you're facing a detour in your life, maybe it's, um, you know, whatever it could be, relational, family issue, a health issue, spiritual, maybe you've never found a church home and you feel like you're wandering in the desert. Would you just shoot up your hand right now? Just shoot up your hand, all our campuses, so I can pray for you. Okay, I see the hand in the back. Wow, a bunch of hands over here. All our sites, our campus pastors are watching. They're going to pray for you. I see three, four, five hands in the back. Let me pray right now for you. Father, you know what these hands are? We're surrendering to you. We're saying not our will, but yours be done. Father, right now, send your Holy Spirit for every man and woman under the sound of my voice right now, Father. Let it be your voice speaking hope into them. Father, thank you that you, we don't invite you in our life. You invite us into yours. We receive that invitation right now as we respond to you, Father. We come in a posture of humility. Father, we're asking Jesus to be our all in all, to be our guide to first be our Savior, Lord, from sin, but then to be our Lord of our life. We respond in faith. Thank you that we will not turn away anyone who seeks you wholeheartedly. So we offer up our whole hearts right now as a church to you. If you agreed with that, let's all God's people say amen together. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.